You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, we pray that as we come to the end of uh, your word here in Hebrews, uh, Lord, that it would uh, stay with us, that it would dwell within us, and that we might see more of your glory uh, and also see that glory manifested in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, when we got to chapter 13, it's not as if the author has said, this is all I want to say, and while I have you, here are a few things that you might want to consider. But in fact, here is where the author says, what does running the Christian life look like? It's a race, and how does this manifest itself in the life of the believer? And so we talked about last week the principle of love, that a congregation is marked out by love, that a congregation is marked out by, or rather God's people, marked out by hospitality, uh, that God's people are marked out by remembrance, especially those who are in prison as though in prison with them. We're going to talk about remembrance in a little bit, but that's more than just, oh, I remember Bill who's in prison, or Sally who's sick, or Dave uh, who's going through a hard time, but you actually immerse yourself into the situation as if you are there yourself. And then also, of course, the principle of Christian morality, especially concerning uh, marriage and sexual activity. And the one we didn't get to is the final one here, this principle of stewardship and really uh, the principle of trust and faith. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content to what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, he being Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is often said that the checkbook is the last part of the individual to get converted. Uh, I mean, I saw a cartoon once of the man going down into the river, and as he was being baptized, he held his wallet above the water. Uh, Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And really the question that the author of Hebrews is asking is, what are you living your life for? What's driving you? Why do you do what you do? And if most of us are honest, we probably are going to have to say, I'm living life... I'm doing what I'm doing in order to make enough money for a comfortable existence, whatever that existence looks like. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that's not right. That's the wrong motive. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Whoever wrote this didn't have three daughters. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Of course, these are Jesus' parting words in Matthew's gospel after he's given uh, the great commission. He says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, especially when it comes to finances, all of us are functional atheists. We say that we trust God, and we pray as if it depended upon him, but we work as if it depended upon us. Now, that's not to say that you sit around and do nothing all day. Uh, That's why I like that word in, uh, I forget, it's 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, uh, but you don't work, you don't eat. We have that written up in our house for our girls. You don't work, you don't eat. Uh, So so the author of Hebrews is not saying forsake work and and do nothing all day, Uh, but what it does mean is that you have been given eternal life for a purpose, and that's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that you do, and the money that's been given to you has actually been given for the furtherance of the gospel. 
which means that you actually are going to have to sacrifice. Now, what do I mean by that? The examples that, um, that I often use is the one of how I began my ministry, especially when the children came along, and how we live it now. So, for instance, I would say things like, girls, I'm sorry I can't coach your soccer team because daddy's too busy at work. Girls, I'm so sorry, you're going to have to go into the back room tonight and be quiet because there are people coming over for a Bible study tonight. I'm so sorry. Or, girls, I'm so sorry you can't have this thing in uh, the checkout line uh, because daddy is in ministry and we just don't have money to throw around uh, on little things in the checkout line at the grocery store. Now hear what I said there, and now listen to the difference when you look at it in light of the gospel. Girls, I would love to coach soccer one day for you, and one day I hope to do it. But in our family, the priority is the gospel of Jesus Christ that others might know him. Girls, isn't it wonderful that we have people over for Bible study at our house, and and you can be as loud and as noisy as you want. In fact, we want you to understand that this is part of your life too. And isn't it great that people are coming over to our house and opening up God's word for us? Girls, I would love to get you this pack of gum or whatever it is, but you know what? Our family has decided we're going to give to missionaries because we think that it's important that other people know the love of Jesus Christ in our family. And I've said, girls, one day you're going to get to heaven, and somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, I want you to know that I came to know the Lord because your dad met with me every other week with our Bibles open, and it was a lot of time invested but because of that, I came to know Jesus. Or someone would come up to them and say, you know, I really didn't think much of the Lord Jesus until I started going over to your house. And I remember when you were real little and we opened up our Bibles and and I thought it was weird and awkward, but I fell in love with the Lord Jesus and had a great love for his word because you opened up your house for me. Or someone coming up to them and saying, you don't know me from Adam's house, cat, because I live in thus and such a place and your family supported the missionary that brought the gospel to me. What are you living your life for? That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And so freeing ourselves from the love of money is one of the most difficult things that we encounter as Christians. Uh, But God's word says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so we get to verse 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with you what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, 
for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Well, the first thing he says, so we've gotten all this, what I've just said, this is what it looks like to run the race. So if you ever want to know what does it look like to run the Christian life, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and finally we get to verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, when the Bible talks about remembering, it's not simply a recollection. It's not a recalling of something. Uh, but it's actually much deeper than that. Uh, it's an immersion. It's seeing yourself there. It's identifying uh, with the person. It's being caught up in the moment. Uh, it's really allowing yourself to be consumed by that. And of course, what he's asking us to do here is to remember, consider, and imitate those who have gone before us, our leaders. And these former leaders are now in heaven. And again, it's, not a, it's a continuous remembering. It's not nostalgia. And we remember them because they spoke the word of God to you. Now, these people that we're remembering are leaders, but they're not the kind of leaders that we probably would imagine leaders being. Uh, if you think about who spoke the gospel first to you, or who was it that was speaking the gospel to you when you decided, yes, I want to live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving myself over to him, body and soul, to be my Lord and my Savior. Uh, that experience is probably not marked by some individual leader of great prominence. Uh, it's more likely your grandmother, a friend, uh, someone whose name is not known throughout the world for their Christian commitment uh, but a leader nonetheless that God has used to bring him to faith in you. And these people are not often considered wise or beautiful or even sensible, but that's not the word that they spoke to you. They spoke to you God's word. And I wonder if you look back to that moment in time where faith become very, became very real to you, when Jesus became very real to you. Uh, for me, uh, it was at vacation Bible school the summer after fifth grade. But there are other moments. One of the things that I give great thanks for on a daily basis is the ministry of young life. I mean, I had become a believer, but I didn't know what it looked like to live the Christian life. I didn't know what it meant. I had a Bible. I remember I was so excited. I said to my mother, I want to get a Bible. And so we went out and we bought this King James Bible. I actually preached from it, from, uh, from it at a funeral recently because it was the 23rd Psalm in the King James. But I hadn't opened it since really middle school. Uh, but I remember I was memorizing verses in a small group Bible study with some other boys, and the, the adult leader said, now, you've just memorized that from the King James Version. What does this word mean? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. I didn't know. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version, and I have a great appreciation for it, uh, but I couldn't understand most of it because I was 11 years old. And so he gave me a Bible that I could understand more readily, and, and that's the Bible I began to read out of and learn more about who God was and, in fact, who I was as a human being. And so I give thanks to the people that Young Life brought into my path because God used them to speak God's Word to me. And the author of Hebrews is saying, remember these people. Not praying for them, but remember how God used them in your life. 
And this is an audacious claim that, uh, that the author is making and that the New Testament makes, that the preacher or the one speaking to you God's words is the very word of God. Not that the person speaking to you is infallible, but speaking as one who speaks the oracles of God, as Peter reminds us in his first epistle in chapter 4. Inasmuch as they are proclaiming the gospel truth, they are actually bringing the word of God to you. They're speaking God's words to you. Rather than the experience which many of you have probably had of sitting, sitting under a preacher who preaches the word of God as opposed to someone who simply preaches their own ideas on living with platitudes. Or even the difference between preaching about the word of God versus preaching the word of God. Or preaching about Jesus rather than preaching Jesus. It may seem like a subtle difference, but there's actually a great difference between preaching about God and actually preaching God to you. And the only way to do that is to actually preach God's Word. I mean, I, I have a little test that we do with the preachers even here at the Advent, which drives them nuts, but it's good for all of us. And that is to ask a question, if I was to listen to your sermon apart from the text that you're supposed to be preaching on, would I know what part of the Bible you're preaching from? And if the answer is no, they've failed. It doesn't mean what they've said is necessarily false, but what they failed to do is actually to convey the Word of God to you because the object is that you get home tonight and you look at Hebrews 13 and you say, oh yes, that's what we were talking about this morning. As Robert Smith at Beeson says, I preach in order that you can preach. I want you to have the same experience that I had as a middle schooler when someone opened up God's Word to me and allowed me to read it and understand it for the first time, to actually equip me to handle God's Word. And so that's not just the responsibility of the preacher, but in fact, every Christian. Now, the significance of what the author of Hebrews is saying is yes, it's in the context of Hebrews where people are struggling with their faith. They want to go back to the old ways. They want to forsake uh, the gospel that they once read. It's, it's a lot like what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 4. You know, you were running the race so well, and now you've fallen away. But remember those who went before you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, this is an audacious claim that the New Testament makes time and time again of imitating the faith of other Christians. And most of us in here would probably rightly say, don't do as I do. And yet we've already seen what a life of faith looks like in Hebrews chapter 11. That this is a mixed bag of individuals, isn't it? Uh, these are people like Abraham who wasn't always an upright man of faith and yet Trusting in God, faith is actually believing God at His Word and obeying Him. Trusting, relying, and depending on God is what faith is. And this is a gift that the Spirit works within you. To open your eyes to realize that I would rather go out with God into the unknown than to stay in the known without Him. That's what faith is. But what they faced in their day, in the first century A.D., 
is what we face today. Because he wants to remind them that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Not just false teaching, but outlandish teaching. And you notice what they say is that you're going to be driven and blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the things that you can do, if you want to know if some teaching is false, who do they say that Jesus is? If their idea of who Jesus is is different from the biblical witness, Hebrews here tells us, then that is a word that's not of God. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise God for that, that he's, not, that he's unchangeable. I mean, I don't know about you, but if Jesus were always changing his mind about things or saying, well, yeah, I used to do that, but now I do this, that's not a Savior that I'm really interested in following at all. That's actually a pagan understanding of who God is, of a changeable God. But we serve a God who is unchangeable. And so he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus Christ is being preached bears little to no resemblance to the Jesus of the Bible, then you might as well just shut it down. Uh, there's nothing worth listening to from that point on. Because if you get Jesus wrong, everything else will follow. And of course the Hebrews were being led away by diverse and strange teachings. That's the propensity of the human heart. When I was training for ministry, when I was in seminary, older professors would often tell me is, is that there are going to be some of you and, and some of your friends who are going to fall away from the ordained ministry. And at the time, I was able to grapple with that in terms of burning out. And I really kind of thought solely in those terms that there were going to be those who were around me in that classroom that were going to burn out from ministry. They were going to become overwhelmed. I've talked to these guys. I remember talking to one guy one time and he said, I keep telling my congregation what to do when they're not listening. I said, well, there's your problem, brother. <laughs> and in fact, that's one of the things that, that, it is, uh, that is being said here is to be strengthened by grace. That false teaching often gets or always gets away from grace. That grace being the transformative power in the Christian life, not the law. They're going to substitute it with something other than grace. And that is, that could be either legalism, Christianity means the following, or it could mean actually a different form of legalism that normally masquerades itself as liberalism. So when I hear people say to me, well, I'd like to think of Jesus as a social activist. They've gotten away from Jesus and they've gotten away from the gospel. I've even heard people say that, well, the gospel for us really is to clean up the highways to keep them clean. There's nothing wrong with cleaning up the highway. I think it's a, a worthwhile endeavor, but that's not the gospel. Not at all. And so you can almost always see a false teaching that they've moved away from who Jesus Christ is, and they've also moved away from the gospel and given you a how-to list or a to-do list in the Christian life. But that's, of course, no Christian life at all if it's divorced from grace. And so my friend had gotten away from grace and said, well, I keep telling them what to do, but they won't do it. 
I told you at the beginning Spurgeon's quote about all the things he did to make his congregation sinners. But then he said, but then I began to preach the gospel and the deaf began to hear and the mute began to sing and the lame began to walk. Because you're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified to throw your life wholly upon him and his mercy. Because the only person that can change lives is Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, full stop. But I was mistaken to think that what my professors meant and what Hebrews is talking about here is that burnout is going to lead people to fall away from the ordained ministry. Because the frightening thing that I've found, and it breaks my heart even now, is to see men and women who were gospel men and women who have now turned to a false gospel. And it's not as if one day they woke up and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to undermine Jesus Christ. I'm going to I'm going to work against his cross and his resurrection. But inevitably what happens is it's not a setting aside of of saying I'm putting the gospel aside, but it's a beginning to focus on something that is not the gospel, to focus on someone or something that is not Jesus Christ, that actually may be a good thing. But then that becomes the focus and Jesus is removed from the picture And this is going back to the beginning of Hebrews where the author says, you're drifting. You're drifting and you don't even know it. You know that experience that you have swimming in the Gulf or swimming in the ocean where you're out there treading water and you're playing and you're talking and you're doing all of those things and all of a sudden you look up and you realize that the tide, the current, has moved you down the beach to the point where you have to start to look around, where are our beach chairs? And so what do you do? Inevitably, you think, this is what our umbrella looks like. This is the marker. This is the hotel. This is the house. This is the flagpole. This is what I'm going to look for in order to tell me where I need to go. Which is why the author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. So that when you drift, you can look up and say, I'm in the wrong place, but there he is, and I need to make my way back to him. And so this hardening of the heart, this drifting, is something that is really hard to perceive in the moment. That you really don't realize that your heart is hardened maybe until it's too late. So the author of Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of the wilderness when you rebelled against God. But today, as long as it is called today, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. And so that's why it's important to encourage one another along in the race. It's important. I mean, I, when, I, when I see my brothers and sisters drifting away from the truth, it actually doesn't cause me to be self-righteous. It actually makes me fearful that I might drift away. And so it's a warning to me to give constant care to where I am and what I have my mind focused on and what I'm teaching. I'm always checked against that. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who was a a great man, toward the end of his life, uh, started to say some things that really were not of God, quite frankly. And uh, and people had a hard time dealing with that because they thought, well, and and now in in, in his defense, uh, he was put in a very difficult situation in one interview in which all of this came to light. But when I read the interview, I didn't think, oh, what an idiot. 
what a heretic. He's, he's lost his bearings. But I thought, good gracious, if he can drift away, then what about me? And that's the warning that Hebrews gives. And so it is actually going to someone and saying, brother, sister, you know, you said this, but I don't think that that's quite right. Now, sometimes it's more obvious, but even in the more obvious moments, do we have the courage to go and to say, you're headed in the wrong direction, you're drifting? I mean, I had that uh, situation in Beaufort where uh, a member of our staff came up and said, uh, there's been a terrible situation. A woman is down in my office and she's crying uh, because uh, her, um, her father uh, has committed suicide. And she is uh, worried about uh, all kinds of things, and I think it's best if you probably speak with her. And I said, very happy to. And as I was going down, uh, this person was telling me, well, I've already prayed with them, and I've told them that her father has three days after his death to accept the Lord Jesus before he comes under judgment. Do you see how troublesome this becomes? And so I actually pointed to Hebrews and said, you know, it's appointed once for men and women to die and then judgment. That that kind of, as Fitzsimmons Allison reminds us, that heresy is cruel. It hurts people. And so I then had to sit down with this young woman who was grieving the loss of her father under terrible circumstances and having to write the false teaching that she received at the hands of a member of a biblical solid congregation in Beaufort, South Carolina, who got it wrong. And later on, I asked that person, I said, well, where did you get that idea from? Well, the Lord spoke to me and said that. And I said, no, he didn't. Now, how do I know that? Is that me being spiritually arrogant? No, I can go back to God's Word and say, here in Hebrews, it says, it's appointed once for man to die and then judgment. Or worse yet, even if, if the person was a believer, you know, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so if he was a believer, you've actually thrown into, maybe he wasn't saved. Maybe he's not with the Lord. Maybe he's in this three-day waiting room. And so it's easy for all of us to be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. You know, that's one of the things that is the mark of a Christian, is the ability to discern. To be able to hear something and say, you know, that's not quite right. Now, I'm not saying that any time you hear something that's not quite right, that you jump on it immediately. There's a time and a place. Uh, but I've given license to the other clergy, and I've given license to you. But if I ever say anything in the pulpit that is not of God and not of his word, you have every right to stand up and say, sit down. Sit down. And often I will pray before I head into the pulpit, Lord, if I say anything that is not of you, that everybody would forget it immediately, that you would stop their ears. But being able to discern what is diverse and strange teachings... Because it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And of course, here he's talking about the old practices, the pagan practices, as well as the practices of the Israelites. Because then the author goes into, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now remember, this is going back to the Day of the Atonement, which we've talked about before. Now the priests were able to eat of pretty much every sacrifice except for one. And that is the sacrifice on the Day of the Atonement 
The priest could not eat of that, but it was taken outside of the camp and it was burned. And so the very sacrifice that was supposed to represent the cleansing of the sins of the people of God, they were not able to partake of. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus was not crucified inside the camp, but where was he crucified? Outside the camp. And here the author of Hebrews is saying the Christian life is really hard. And to live life as a Christian means that you're going to bear the reproach of the world in the same way that Jesus did. And I think that in our day and age, it is very hard to discern the difference between a Christian and the way that they live their life and the way that a non-Christian would live their life. Now, there was a day and age where it was a little bit easier, and I don't want to go back to those days where you could say, well, I know I'm a Christian because I don't drink, smoke, or dance the hoochie-coo. I don't think that that's the answer. But is there any discernible difference between the way that we live our lives as believers and the way that our unbelievers live, unbelieving neighbors live their lives? If not, that ought to be a check for us. And I fall into this trap all the time where I, and I'm, quite frankly, I think I'm rather good at this. But I want to be all things to all men, and so I find that it's being within the camp and trying to be a jolly good fellow and to bring people alongside. And, but you know what? It doesn't work. It hasn't worked since Lot tried to do it in Sodom. And that doesn't mean that, that we disdain uh, other people. But what it means is that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ puts us outside the camp. There is... There is worship of Jesus within the camp. And do you know what that worship looks like? It looks like Jesus being stripped of a seamless garment and a dirty purple cloak thrown around his shoulders and a crown of thorns placed upon his head and a reed in his hand and the Roman soldiers bending the knee and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. That's the kind of worship of Jesus that happens within the camp. The worship of Jesus that happens outside of the camp is true worship. It's true freedom. It's not to be bound by the camp. Now, I could say a lot about that, uh, but we need to wrap up, and we have one more week to go. So we're going to finish, and I'll go into a little bit more detail. But think about what I've just said, and I want you to bring questions next week. But also, at the end of your pew, there are these little postcards, and I wonder if you would be willing to help me with this. And you don't have to give it. You can actually mail it in uh, if you'd like. You don't have to put your name on it. But I want you to answer the following question because this is going to determine some Sunday school classes in the fall. Are you ready for it? If someone asks you why you're a Christian, or more specifically, how you know you're a Christian, what would you say? If someone asked you why you are a Christian, or more specifically, how you know you're a Christian, what would you say? Got it?
Got it? Got it? All right. And you can give those to David Tanner, who will collect them. Uh, Don't put your name on them unless you want me to know who it is. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.